I just want to thank you, uh, those of you who heard about my mom, she uh, fell and broke uh, a bone in her hip, and she's been struggling for probably almost 10 years with a bad hip as it is. Thank you for praying for her. Uh, you went and saw her uh, just again yesterday, and uh, uh, my mom, my mom is the foundation of my faith. Without my mom being a godly mom, I wouldn't be here today. I would have never came to Jesus. You know, my mom's 87, so she's pushing 88, and uh, she says to me, I want to go home. You know, I, I watch commercials on TV, and thank God some of you are under 40, some of you in your 20s. It goes quick. When I watch commercials on TV, I see uh, just, uh, you know, how they always show the perfect people. There's no old people. Oh, I'm not, I'm not up there. Sorry about that. You know, you see the, the perfect looking people. The commercials on TV tell you to get the right vitamins, the right food, and but no one tells you that you're aging and you're going to die. You know, and so you're here. I get you, I, I get you like an hour and a half on Sundays. And I tell you, you've got to become strong in spirit. You've got to build your spirit. I saw my mama, she could hardly, she can't even walk. You know, they're trying to see if they can get her home, you know, rehabilitate her and get her home. She could barely walk before because of her bad hip. Now she has to contend with, you know, that broken femur that they put together. And she's just laying there, and I looked at her, and I remember the days when I was younger. My mom was so beautiful. And now she's old. But in her eyes, the love of Jesus, the strength in her own spirit, even though her body's not really cooperating anymore, it's kind of getting tired. I just want to encourage you what you're doing in your faith in God, what you're doing in your prayers, reading the word when you don't feel like it, and you're in conflict with the, what the natural world is trying to play into, your soul, your youth, whatever it is, whatever he's trying to offer you, whatever this world's trying to give you, grow your spirit. Get close to Jesus, because there's come a day where for all of us, we're, we're going to check out. Now, my mom says, I'm not ready to go before I leave. She goes, I'm not ready to go yet. I, I don't think I'm going to go yet. But her heart is there. And uh, I just I just want, I want to pray again. Pray for yourself. Lord, again, we come to you in these moments, Lord, where we talk about your word, we talk about truth. This thing you've put on my heart so strong in the last month about becoming strong in spirit, I pray to grip us, Lord, that we would take in the truth of God, that your Holy Spirit would cause us to experience you, that we would be go, begin, begin to keep growing stronger and stronger in our spirit because that's what you're going to take home. And all our emotions, our personality that's going to be restored and refined is going to go into a new body. And it's going to live into eternity. I pray for a revelation to hit our mind and our understanding of the importance of our spiritual life. That we would not, no longer be robbed by anything that would distract us from putting you first. And I pray even as you deal with us as individuals like you do, that we would uh, understand what you want us to surrender to you, what do you want us to work on, that we might have a joy that uh, far outlasts the momentary pleasures and things that make us joyful. And that we would also be able to appreciate the goodness of who you are, as Jerry reminded us, because you do give us good things in this life. You do bless us. You cause us to inherit the earth. And God, I just pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us now in Jesus' name. You know, um, been trying to go forward in our message in Colossians, but there's always fresh appetizers and fresh bread. When you go to the restaurant, I don't know if you're like me, you like hot bread and you like butter. I hope this is like that for you today. The first thing I felt like uh, I wanted to talk about was tension. 
Now, in the 80s, and some of you maybe were not even alive then, back when the mullet was popular, you know, disco, you know, my neighbor was trying to save a little money, and that was back when I think you could start having cable TV and stuff like that, but he wanted to put a brand new antenna on top of his roof. And this was not just uh, a regular antenna. In fact, this antenna, if you, if it was five feet, if it was 20 feet, I mean, if it was five feet, it was 20 feet or greater. That's how tall it was. And you can imagine, uh, you know, you see the pictures of raising that flag on Iwo Jima atop Mount Suribachi. We were on top of his two-story house, which seemed higher than Mount Suribachi. And we were raising this antenna up. And getting that antenna up, there had to be tension. There had to be cables that created tension. And uh, I like to say that this, this antenna went up, but this was one of those failures I was involved with in my life. <laughs> Two of those cables were attached to the roof, and as my neighbor began to try to, to uh, put the other, I had my rigging stance that my rigger boss had showed me to take when you're dealing with motors and heavy things so that you're not going to get knocked off balance, and I was on the apex of that roof, and the wind was blowing, and that old 20-foot-plus and that huge motor, it started to do this. And I said, oh, no, and it got away from me, and <laughs> that was the end of that brand-new antenna. And I apologized to my neighbor probably for a number of years after that. But I want to tell you there's a tension in the Word of God. We know that God loves us. We know that he died on the cross for our sins. We know that we have a place in heaven. We know that, you know, uh, Jesus came not to condemn the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world by dying for us on the cross. But that's only one part of that tension. There are other cables, there are other connections that hold that tension. And, you know, if you were to read Acts 20, 27, Paul wrote, For I did not shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. And that's the whole tension of the word of God that we come to Christ through salvation in Jesus Christ through the gospel message, and it's powerful to change us, but it's an ongoing message that every word of God is part of the tension in which God wants to use in our lives to develop us strong in spirit, strong as men and women of God, to develop and, and cause there to be such a root system that goes down that the very spiritual nature and the gifts that are in us can come to the forefront so that we really can be who God calls us to be. In the world, we're constantly seeing the heroes that you know, uh, who defy uh, different disabilities. Even some of the war heroes that have legs and arms uh, gone, they show the incredible tenaciousness and, and the spirit in them that drives them. But the Bible tells us that we were born into this world dead spiritually. And yes, we, we may draw on, uh, on our spirit to accomplish different things, but unless we have Jesus Christ as a rock bottom, as the power source of our spirit, we'll never grow to that spiritual potential that God has for us, for both the natural or our spiritual life. The next thing I wanted to talk about was obedience. And if you have your Bible, go to John 14, 21. I'm reading out of the New King James, not the Amplified right now. Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is shortly before the cross. And he said, He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. 
So he's talking about us being obedient. And if we're obedient, he's going to manifest his presence to us. You know, we've been talking the last couple weeks, last week about uh, sanctification, repentance. I mean, about repentance, not sanctification. And the week before, again, in our community, we talked about repentance. And that place where even some of us older Christians, there are things that we haven't overcome or there are things that we've allowed in our lives. And the Holy Spirit's been bringing them back to our memory that these are some things we've, we've been under enough. It's time to take back the spiritual ground in our life, our inheritance, by moving past those things that disqualify our, our fervency for God and the growth in our spiritual development. It's like the weeds that choke off the moisture in our life. Or, yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're not like really in deep sin, but there's areas where we know we could be better. We know that God wants us to have freedom. And every time we get free, it's like the Old Testament where they went into the land and they're possessing their inheritance. We have to apprehend, we have to appropriate the inheritance that God has for us in the kingdom. And, and only you can know what that is. And that's by your development and your growth in God and your growth from being beginning this walk with Jesus Christ and having him become your Lord. I want to give you the definition of this word omission. It's from the Bing on the online. It's the act of omitting. The state of being omitted. Something left out, not done, or neglected. An important omission in a report. And, you know, in, in our life, there are a lot of times, maybe at work you can see yourself, oh, I can get away with not doing that, or I'm going to let that order go out, or I'm not going to return that call. There's things that we omit, those things that we let go. And in following Christ, um, there's things sometimes we just kind of let go. We kind of have a knowing, we kind of have a conviction, we have kind of slight knowing that God wants us, but we just kind of kind of dismiss it. I want to let you know and encourage you, when you know God wants something from you, stop omitting. Because every time we omit something the Holy Spirit's trying to lead us to do or to follow, we're actually uh, putting off more of God's blessing, more of that strength in our spirit that we really want, more of the answers. Sometimes we omit things today, that next week, if we would not have omitted it, we're going to have some kind of connection or experience with God that's going to cause us to be stronger or cause us to have an answer. So I want to encourage you, just like I'm speaking to myself, not to omit things. I wanted to read something because it was incredible. The girls uh, in the uh, intercessors actually turned me on to it last week. And let me give you this verse too, James 4, 17. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it hope I can read. Tomorrow, pray for me. I'm going for my second eye surgery, so hopefully I'll be seeing better. We control what we are able to explain. Consequently, it is only natural to seek an explanation for everything. It is not natural to obey, yet it is not necessarily sinful to disobey. There can be no real disobedience nor any moral virtue in obedience unless a person recognizes the higher authority of the one giving the order. If this recognition does not exist, even the one giving the orders may view the other person's disobedience as freedom. If only rules, if only rules another by saying, you must do this and you must do that, he breaks the human spirit, making it unfit for God. A person is simply a slave for obeying unless behind his obedience is the recognition of a holy God. 
And because a lot of times the things God is asking us to obey uh, seem good to our spiritual man, it is our mind, will, and emotion connected with the fallen nature that thinks anytime we're asked to do something, that rebellious attitude comes up. And so sometimes when God is asking us to obey him, we identify it where I'm not really free. The lie is our freedom was lost because of the fall of man. And only coming back to Jesus and coming into obedience to a perfect God, a God who totally has everything uh, for us and has the best benefits for us, only in trusting him can we cross those areas of disobedience that the enemy uses in our own flesh to keep us from pushing into the blessing of God of what he has for us in following him. So I hopefully you can understand better, like when you're dealing with yourself and what God's speaking to you and what he's encouraging you to do, you can realize there's a great freedom that's been given to us. When Jesus died on the cross for us and made us free when, by, when we received him and our spirit was made alive and born again, he gave us back our will. But we have to apprehend that will. We have to go after that will in understanding what God wants and dealing with our places of obedience and being obedient to God. So that was my, um, that was my appetizer for today. Now I will go on top of the book. Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would come to us Lord, in these services, it's so important how you move, Lord, and how your Holy Spirit can speak something so different if we need something different. And I pray for people right now. I pray for that activity of your Holy Spirit to penetrate each one of us with the truth that we need. I pray even as a magnifying glass comes over a word to amplify it and to make it clear. I pray your Holy Spirit would put your finger on those places that you want to us to obey because your holy purpose your only purpose in obedience is that you have something better for us. I pray for all of us in the areas you're asking us to move forward or to let go of something. You'd give us the grace to do it, and I ask it in Jesus' name. So, continuing my message that I started a few weeks ago in Colossians 1, that, that chapter so rich, that book so rich in, in nuggets about uh, truths of, of Jesus and things that he left for his disciples and for all of us to follow— I hope you uh, can understand and receive some more nuggets. I want to go to Colossians 1.15. Jesus in God's likeness. He, Jesus, is the exact likeness of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible. He is the firstborn of all creation. I want to read a little uh, thing that uh, uh, Adam Clark wrote in a commentary about, first, uh, about Colossians 1.15. He wrote, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the counterpart of God Almighty. So as you're beginning to understand that Jesus is like God, think of uh, Batman and Robin. Think of uh, salt and pepper, a husband and a wife. You know, that connection, that's the closest of God and Jesus. They're counterparts together. They're a representation of, of, of who God is to us. And thank God that, you know, Jesus came in the flesh to reveal himself to us so we have a deep understanding of God and that there is someone out there who created us in his image and created the world and all of the universe, and he came to help us understand who God is. Okay, so Jesus is the very image of the invisible God. Consequently, nothing that appeared in Jesus could be that image. 
For if it could be visible in the Son, it could also be visible in the Father. But if the Father is invisible, consequently his image in the Son must be invisible also. That is, that form of God of which he divested himself, the inexpressible glory in which he not only did not appear as, it, as to its splendor and accomplishments, but concealed also its essential nature, that an inaccessible light which no man, no created being can possibly see, this was that divine nature, the fullness of the Godhead bodily which dwelt in him. And Isaiah kind of bears this out. Even though Jesus is the representation of God, by looking at Jesus, we do not see that, that invisible part of God that, that um, is said in the Word and that, um, Matt, that Adam Clark is telling us. And Isaiah 53.2 kind of confirms this. He, Jesus, possessed no splendor, no form for us to see, no desirable appearance. It was that invisible God inside of Jesus the same Holy Spirit that comes and dwells in us when we ask Jesus Christ to come into our life. When we say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm tired of living this life, and I want to be born again. I believe your blood shed for me on the cross causes me to be born again and start living a different life. That something comes alive in me. My spirit comes alive in me through, through my acceptance of what you did, and now I start walking. I start growing as, as a new born-again person. God-likeness. Practice putting on God-likeness or character traits. In Ephesians 4.23, put on the new nature, the regenerated self, created in God's image, God-like in the righteousness and holiness. Put on, cooperate with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit's work of power going on in our lives. We talked about repentance again last week. Repentance is the change of identity from Satan to God. And as we practice you, you read the Word of God and you practice the things you can practice. And yeah, when you start trying to practice the Word, the places where you're powerlessness, you're going to see. But don't get, don't get afraid. You can't do it in your own strength, but it's the Holy Spirit that now begins to work. As you're trying to practice the Word, you have the Comforter come alongside because He rises up on the inside of you and He helps you to start doing what the Word of God is asking you to do. But He's aligning with changing our behavior and our character and our nature. Becoming like Christ. It's a work of sanctification. And sanctification is that Bible word that just means cleansing and transformation. Romans 8, 29, now the Amplified Bible. Those whom God foreknew, of whom he was aware and loved beforehand, he also destined from the beginning before ordaining them to be molded into the image of his Son and share inwardly his likeness, that he might become the firstborn among many brethren. I want to take, talk for a few minutes about sanctification. Again, sanctification is the Holy Spirit process of being transformed, changed. In the areas we, where the Word of God convicts us of things that are not right or, or sins or areas that are compromises that make us feel shameful, guilty, dirty, that's the work of sanctification that the Holy Spirit begins to do in our lives, and He continues all the way through our life. And again, if you're feeling bad about something in your life and, and you've tried to change it and you just feel condemned and shamed, that's where you've got to let God do the work. And it's simply cooperating, offering it up to God. Because the Holy Spirit has made a covenant with us through the Word of God and through what Jesus said and through the Holy Spirit being God in flesh to us and living inside of us that He is going to do that work of cleansing, that work called, word called sanctification. 
Here's the definition of sanctification from the Greek, from the Strong's. It's purification, purity, holiness, to purify and consecrate, even mentally, to change the way we think. Uh, sanctification from the being. Sanctification is the act or process of acquiring sanctity, of being made, becoming holy. You know, sometimes we think, oh my, I could never be holy. Uh, how many of us started this walk and we think, I could never be that kind of person that, that the Bible talks about? Well, none of us can. But that's why we're all in this process of being changed and transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And our obedience to just keep submitting to that process. Who is sanctification? Who is sanctification for? It's for everyone who accepts Christ and begins to come into the family of God. In Jude 1, Jude wrote, A bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Everyone who is drawn to Christ is called and begins the cleansing process. You know, clubs and orders and sororities have some initiations. I had Kelly look up some initiations for me this week. And some of them were a little scary. Uh, some of the uh, fraternities and sororities have this. A person is forced to drink pitchers of water to the point of brain swelling and even death. Some are forced to drink as much alcohol as they can in 90 minutes, often uh, causing severe alcohol poisoning and death. Um, also, being faced to stay awake for uh, three days in order to be accepted in a fraternity. There are some weird things going on. Even it's trickling down into uh, even high schools. Some kids in a Washington school reported that students who were, were beaten with pipes and golf clubs in order to be admitted to a school spirit club uh, different, uh, well, some of these things I don't even want to read. <laughs> They're just so negative. But here, here, what we do to be accepted, uh, we do some weird things to be accepted. We'll pay money to be in some kind of uh, a country club or, or some kind of fraternity or some kind of, uh, be on some kind of list. We'll, we'll do to great, go to great expenses to, to be in something. And so God asks us as Christians to go through this sanctification process. It's kind of our initiation process to grow spiritually. He's asking us to give up some things that are really harmful and hurtful to us. Why? Because he's got something better. Again, you're on that jungle gym. If you, anybody does that, in our days we had the jungle gym where you go from bar to bar. If you're watching American Ninja Warrior, like my wife makes me watch every week, you're going, you're going, grabbing onto the nunchucks, you know, and you're trying to hang on and swing to the next or that, that ladder that's floating and the person gets to the end, and he has to reach out. That's the way it is in the work of sanctification. God is always moving us from one bar to the next, to reach from one place to the next, and you've got to let go of one thing to grab onto the next. And that's the work of sanctification, where you have to wrestle with God, and you have to say, I can't do this, God, but I know you want it of me. I don't want to do it, but Lord, make me willing to let go. Make me willing to, to, to allow you to move me to that next place. And every time we let go of something, every time we get free from something, we admit, like, why? Why did it take me so long? You know, why did I struggle so long in surrendering this area? Because obviously the freedom is more better. What I'm feeling like spiritually is so greater. Why was I hanging on to that old stuff? 
That's the work of sanctification. Here's a key verse in that cleansing process. 1 Corinthians 1.30, Of him, Jesus talking about Jesus, you or God, are you in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Again, the Amplified Bible says this, that God manifests, or he manifests in us, our righteousness, which is his, thus making us upright and putting us in right standing with God. And our consecration, making us pure and holy, that's the work of sanctification. He's doing it. Man, talk about a guy who does everything. That's Jesus. He does everything for us. Jesus himself was sanctified. He was set apart by God for our benefit. Unless Jesus, uh, unless he fully chose in his will to surrender his life on earth, which was precious to him, being all God and all man, unless he submitted that and went to the cross to die for us, we would not be able to be participants in our own work of sanctification. But he had to be set apart first. He had to be set apart to the will of God. And obviously, you know, that wasn't a pleasing will. And there's times in your Christian life that the things that God is asking for you, they're not going to be pleasing. I, I was thinking of my journey. Uh, you know, it's just been 33 years that I've been married. But the one week after we were married, we happened to go to uh, Henry Cowell Redwoods. And if you ever walk the Redwood Grove, in the center of the, I think it's like a mile walk, in the center is this huge tree, and there is a fence around it. This tree, I don't know how many thousand people would have to get around to get around this huge redwood tree. Well, maybe not that many. But any, it's big around. And we sat in the bench by it, and, and we were just, here we are one week into our marriage. We're already starting to struggle a little bit with who we are and our differences. But in that moment, this was back in 1981, a jet flew overhead, and I knew what God was saying to me. God was saying to me, he was saying to me, someday he would be using me and traveling, and I'd be, I'd be doing things. I had never flown up until that moment. But I tell you, God has been doing something in me that's been very fearful. I have had to have work of sanctification. It took 18 years of God working on me to get to this place where God started using a gift in me, like even public speaking. I remember the terror. I, I still felt a little terror today before the message. It's part of my weakness. But to do what God wants, I've got to keep surrendering so that God can use me. But I, I think when I look back at those 18 years where God was looking, I can't believe all the times God has used me. I can't believe I did go to Africa. I did speak in, uh, in, uh, in a crusade. I, I spoke in churches. And it was beyond my own ability because back then when God said that to me, I was terrified. And, and from time to time, God keeps triggering the fear of what God wants in my life. And, and, and it's just being real that we have genuine fears, but as we surrender to God, our weaknesses and our fears of what he wants us to do, um, they, they go away because we keep stepping into what he wants us to do. I, I'm facing that fear again because for the first time, I committed to go do a men's retreat, which I have to speak like three times. And the terror of that is getting the message. In my natural man, oh my, I've not only have to speak once, I have to speak three times and then possibly a fourth time. I am overwhelmed with terror. And I'm, I'm triggering back to that first time when I knew God was moving in a direction. I was afraid to go and I didn't want to go. That's that work of following Jesus. It's always going to be a little bit harder than we think. It's always going to take us leaning on Jesus 
Because what he asks us to do is so much bigger than what we can do in our own strength. In Hebrews 10.24, by one offering, Jesus has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Again, the biggest work was done when Jesus went to the cross to buy us back spiritually. And now we're, we're just walking it out in our life every time we obey, every time we struggle with our attitude, every time we surrender something. It's that process of identifying with the work that he's doing to change us and cause us to be more useful for his purposes. Character changes in First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 4. For this is the will of God, that you should be consecrated, separated, and set apart for pure and holy living, that you should abstain and shrink back from sexual vice, that each one of you should know how to possess and control and manage their own body in consecration, purity, and separateness from things profane and honor, dishonor, not to be used in passion or lust like the heathen who are ignorant of what God wants and have no knowledge of his will, that no man transgress and overreach his brother and defraud or deceive him in any matter or deceive his brother in business. For the Lord is an avenger of all these things, as we have already warned and told you solemnly and told you plainly. For God is not called us to impurity, but to consecration, to dedicate our lives to the most thorough purity. Therefore, whoever disregards, sets aside and rejects this, disregards not man but God, whose very spirit whom he gives to you is the holy, chaste, pure. Here's the definition of sanctify. To hallow, to set apart, dedicate, and consecrate, to separate. Sanctify means to make holy. The word sanctify describes a manifestation of life produced by the indwelling Holy Spirit. So again, what it really does is causes a great peace to settle over us, knowing that this is just simply a work of God. You know, if you're going to have surgery, you have to go submit yourself. You have to submit yourself to your doctor. Then on the day of your surgery, you have to submit yourself to uh, IVs and uh, different things that uh, they're going to do to prepare you for surgery, but only when you submit yourself is that work, that benefit of surgery accomplished in your body. It's the same way that sanctification works in our, our life is by submitting in our prayer life. You know, in, in it, as we write out, you know, the things that we're, we're feeling like God is speaking to us, we are getting ready, we're submitting to that process so God can do that continual surgery and uh, adjustment inside of us. In um, John 11, John 10, 36, Jesus, whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world. Again, having to do with our choice, John 17, 19. To follow God, we must choose to sanctify ourselves or say yes to the work of sanctification. Again, if we're scared or fearful of what it's going to cost us or what, what we might feel or the pain we might go through, just say, okay, Jesus, do it, you know? Kind of white knuckle it. Go ahead, do it, do it. You know, sometimes we're getting the shots, or like I get this shot in the in my eyelid before I go in to have my cataract surgery done, and it is the longest shot I've ever felt, and it's in my eyelid, and he is just pushing, pushing. I'm thinking, oh my, 
I'm looking forward to that tomorrow. Jesus said in John 17, 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Again, you know, sometimes we avoid different passages in the Bible. Sometimes we go, oh, Jesus loves me. Oh, the Holy Spirit's loving me. He's working in me. But sometimes we avoid the truths of scriptures that point out the one thing he wants to work on. And that's what he's asking us to do. He's asking us to submit to those areas. Jesus prays for his followers to be sanctified by the Father. In John 17, 17, Jesus prayed, Sanctify them, Lord. Set them apart by your truth, because your word is truth. Again, why are we sanctified? In Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 21, Paul wrote to Timothy, The Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Again, that's that work of sanctification. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions. Do you know you're a special treasure to him? Do you know you are a special vessel? You're a special container that he selected? That's why he wants to change you, and that's why he wants to change me. We're special. He just doesn't want us to be that garbage can that he's going to throw away. He just does, doesn't want us who have the opportunity to learn more and grow to be like that thief in the cross where he just got in there by the skin of his teeth. He wants us to be able to be changed and transformed. He wants to give us such a rich, overflowing testimony that you could boldly get in someone's face and say, this is what Jesus did for me. This is where I was, but this is what Jesus did. I'm not that person. You know, some of you who have been damaged and hurt and wounded and rejected and abused, some of you have so many different wounds and hurts by people, and God wants to go to those very roots, and he wants to make us beautiful. He wants to make you beautiful. But that work of sanctification has to take place. And part of that work of sanctification is really in our mind, will, and emotions. We're places that we have taken control because life has done so many things to us we're in control. And sometimes we have such a guard up, we can't let the love of God come into us. And so that's why I encourage you to keep praying, even though you don't feel like you're letting it in. I tell you, God's going to penetrate your walls. God's going to take down your guard, and God is going to set you free. You're going to be able to not take, sometimes we have emotions that are so strong and feelings that are so strong that they are attacking and, and trying to restrict the work of God in our spirit. Don't get worried about it. Keep reading your Bible. Take in, keep taking in the truth. Keep surrendering strong emotions, strong feelings, strong attacks in your mind. Keep surrendering the thoughts that Satan uses and the condemnation and the accusations and, and how he tries to discourage you and keep saying, thank you, Jesus, that you loved me. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given me the Holy Spirit living inside my heart. And I know I'm not perfect, but I know you're doing that work of change. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing that work. These thoughts sometimes are so overwhelming and I feel so bad. Thank you. They're not accurate. They're not true. God, fill my spirit up. God, continue to ground me and cause my spirit to be so strong in you that I am overcoming or I'm learning to compensate these thoughts and realize, hey, Satan's trying to use my mind. He's trying to use my past to, to tell me something that I'm not anymore. And that's how we get, gain and start uh, having self-control. That's how our mind starts getting renewed. Why? Our spirit gets so strong that, yeah, we have the same thoughts and feelings, but they're not having the same effect on us anymore because we know it's not true anymore. 
It's only the past. In the same way, when people make amends with us and, and they're trying to change, sometimes we have to forgive them. Sometimes we have to trust in what we're seeing changed and, and, and trust God to help us forgive them and open our hearts. Why? So that we don't see them in the, in the way they've been, but we see them as they're changing. And we realize, I need forgiveness also. And that God wants to change my heart. And part of changing my heart is being able to forgive people because I am in a constant place of needing forgiveness myself. The work of the Holy Spirit, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. We, brethren, beloved by the Lord, ought and are obligated as those who are in debt to give thanks always to God for you because God chose you from the beginning as the first fruits, first converts for salvation through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and your belief in adherence to and trust in the reliance on the truth, which is the word of God. Again, Bible truth. When you read, like, the New Testament, especially I'm reading through Acts in my own personal reading right now, seeing how people got so angry at Paul when he, when he brought him the truth. Why did people, and even today, it's always said, why is there such wars over religion? Because when a person's belief system is challenged, they'll fight over it. Because our belief systems are so deep that when they're threatened, we, we will launch out and we will strike out. And that's what was happening. The gospel message was coming even to the Jews who had a, a measurable relationship with God because they had had the Torah that Moses had written. They had had the heritage from the ancestors and the patriarchs. But when the message of the gospel broke in that Jesus was the Messiah that they were looking for, that they rejected, it was overwhelming to them. So they had to go and launch out. They had to kill those apostles. They wanted to kill those apostles. They wanted to beat them and throw them in jail. They wanted to stop that message because it was contradicting the very belief system that had been foundational in their life. When the Word of God comes to us, we must uh, be willing to let go of religion, to let go of philosophies, to let go of what the world is telling us. Why? Because God is bringing a living truth to us because we have a relationship with a living Jesus. And so sometimes we may be rattled about something we learned, something that we're, we're trying to hold on to, maybe even a religious routine or action that we do automatically, but it really, uh, we're, we're doing like almost like uh, automatic, but it's not from our heart. Like Dory always said, before she was Christian, every night, down, lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord, someone's like, if I should die before night, take, you know, take me to heaven, you know, like all that. Tomorrow, she said she'd throw that out there in 10 seconds every night, even though she wasn't walking with God, even though she knew she was in sin, you know, she would pray out that prayer. That's what God comes and separates from our re that religiousness where we have this real relationship with a real God that, that is life experience. It's not something I'm just telling you but you are participating in and becoming a part of, or it's becoming a part of you. In 1 Peter 1, 2, the Apostle Peter wrote to all the Christians when he wrote this, who were, We who were chosen and foreknown by God the Father and consecrated, sanctified, made holy by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ the Messiah and to be sprinkled with his blood, may grace, spiritual blessing, and peace be given you in increasing abundance that spiritual peace to be realized in and through Jesus Christ, freedom from fears, agitating passions, and moral conflicts. All the things that we get talked about, all the things that affect our emotions, that's what the Holy Spirit's working to change in us, that work of sanctification that he's doing. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to work. Ephesians 4, 25-32, Paul encouraged all believers, all Christians, 
that we were to reject all falsity and being done now with it. Let everyone express the truth of his neighbor, for we are all parts of one body and members one of another. When angry, do not sin. Do not ever let your wrath, your exasperation, your fury or indignation last until the sun goes down. Leave no such room or foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. You know how it is. You get angry, and if you let out one word, it's almost like the dam is broken, and you're just, you know, you let it all out. And then as you're letting it out, it feels good. But then as you're letting it out, you realize, ooh, this is not good. Ooh, it felt good, but it was not good. But rather, he's telling us the work of sanctification is allow the Holy Spirit to, to put a check on your on you on yourself but then i would go excuse yourself and say god these are all the feelings i feel and say god and you could refine the words but let the garbage come out but give it out in a prayer to god god take what i see here take the anger and the bitterness that i just wanted to vent at my family member my boss my co-worker you know the old lady crossing the street whatever it is you know god here it is God, this is what really was there. This person triggered it. And maybe that situation just triggered what was being being built up or what the Holy Spirit's wanting to bring up to the surface because he's going to bring stuff to the surface in our life and he's going to trigger it. Why? Just so I can vent? No, He's he wants us to surrender. And again, it's that work of sanctification, that work of setting us apart, that work of separating that the enemy in our old nature doesn't use our mind, will, and emotions to to be destructive, but he's trying to refine those areas so that God can use them and the love of God can fill them and we can change our words and give blessing words, encouraging words. We can give words that are kind when someone is ridiculing. I remember a guy was cursing me out here a couple weeks ago and just every word he could say at me and I was saying, God bless you. God bless you. God be with you. And I've been praying for this guy for a long time anyway, but I mean, he was just every word that you could think of, he was throwing at me and I was just like, God bless you. God loves you, you know, and that takes practice of letting God, not getting, not getting triggered, you know, to respond and, and say something to protect and cover yourself. Let the Holy Spirit be your, your protector. Uh, verse 28, let the thief steal no more, but rather let him be industrious, making an honest living with his own hands so that he may be able to give to those in need. Let no foul or polluting language, no evil word, nor unwholesome or worthless talk ever come out of your mouth, but only such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others and is fitting in the need and occasion that it may be a blessing and give grace, God's favor, to those who hear it. Okay, I want to talk to the older Christians right now because I know some people that told me they have not here somewhere else that told me they give themselves to weekend swear words and we're saying, What? You know God enough. The, the, you, the, no, 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 no. You have not grown so far in your Christian life in your years to now have weakened swear words. Obviously, there's something. Obviously, there's something going on in your life. You got to take out some trash. But we're supposed to depart from those words. And and if you find yourself saying some words that are not wholesome, again, like we're talking about, flee those those sins that are so easily done. Start working on it. And again, this is not to condemn us. These are the truths that are going to set us free. Why? Everything we keep letting the Holy Spirit separate us from means more strength to the trunk of our spiritual roots. It means more grace to grow and allow the words of God to come up in our mouths. Our powerful tongue 
is used to create life. And so if we're saying negative things, we're destroying the very life that God wants us to generate. Who knows? There might be a prophetic gifting on you, and there might be a prophetic impartation on you, but if you're entertaining other language, you're almost like you keep cutting off the, the, the source of that stream, which is the Holy Spirit. Remember in James it says that uh, bitter and sweet water shouldn't flow out of our tongue, and tongue is the most unruly member? That's what the Holy Spirit wants to bring sanctification in. He wants to set that tongue apart. Why? He wants to use it to build life. He wants you to be able to look at a situation instead of feeling all down, begin to simply pray over it, send it to God, and believe that God's going to do something. Or say something positive to someone when you feel like writing them off or, or, or giving them a piece of your mind, that you give them a God piece of your mind. Maybe, E, you could come up. Verse 13. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not offend or vex or sadden him by whom you were sealed, marked, branded as God's own and secured. For that day of redemption, a final deliverance through Christ from evil and the consequences of sin. Isn't that something, if we realize the Holy Spirit is inside of us, you know, there's sometimes people won't swear. I mean, I, some people know my pastor, and they'll, I mean, even at work, when I was a Christian, there was guys would, would swear, and then they'd go, sorry for the, for the French, because they'd say that. And i say, I took a few years, I took a year of French in, like, grammar school, and they didn't, none of those words were in that. <laughs> but it's funny how we have a conviction, but those of us who are Christians, even talking to our family members and being examples to our kids, the Holy Spirit is in us, and if we have a deepening aware that when we speak, Wow, the Holy Spirit's in us. We don't want to grieve that. Why? He is our power source. He is our blesser. He's the one that's giving and bringing the presence of God to us. So we don't want to grieve him like that says. We want to keep that flow. And sometimes maybe when, if, you, if you are dealing with some of this stuff, why don't you say, Lord, Holy Spirit, will you forgive me for some of my attitudes and some of the ways I've been talking? Just confess it. God, help me. I, I want to I change this area. I think I'll stop right there. At least we got a little bit farther in Colossians. Will you stand? If you need prayer, we always have the altars open. If you're here and you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and you want to ask him to come in and you want to know today that you are born again, that your spirit is alive and you're connected with God and you can start this journey, God will forgive you your spirit will be, become born again today and the Holy Spirit will enter your life and you're going to begin to start this journey. Lord, we just come to you and we believe that your Holy Spirit is moving on our hearts, that we're, wherever we need prayer, wherever we need encouragement, you're going to help us. And Lord, we surrender today for ourselves in a greater way, especially in the areas where maybe we've been just kind of half-stepping. Lord, that you will continue that work of sanctification, that you will put your finger on those things that you want to deal with we might surrender them to you. God, we ask it in Jesus' name.